Hello and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr. This is the first show of our new season and we're happy to be here in our new home film scene in downtown Iowa City. Hope you have a chance to check out film scene and also our programs throughout the year. Uh, join us for the live programs if you can and thanks to all of you who've come here this afternoon or you can catch them later on UITV, YouTube or iTunes. Information about upcoming shows as well as links to archived programs can be found at international.uiowa.edu and you can learn more about film scene at icfilmscene.org. Tonight's program is all about innovation and the entrepreneurial spirit. Whether it's the quest to build a better mousetrap or develop promising new vaccines, it takes courage, inspiration, and out-of-the-box thinking to propel the creative spirit past stumbling blocks, early failures, and the sometimes tepid encouragement of others. It takes passion. Our guests in this first segment are a testament to the idea that personal passion can turn a shapeless idea into a tangible reality. So we're calling this first segment The Birth of Innovation, Student Stories. Next to me is Blake Rupi, founder and president of REAP, University of Iowa graduate with a master's degree in international studies. And Li Chi Wang is next to her. He's a senior with a double major in psychology and economics. He's also the chief operating officer of a recently launched app called Blue Cheese. So let's start with you, Blake. Uh, Blake Rupi, as we've said, you're an Iowa girl and you got a master's degree in international studies, and uh, you found yourself developing an app, which was not your original aspiration. No, not no. at all. <laughs> no, so tell us your story. Right, so I was doing research for my master's thesis, um, which was on garbage cessation in the Gulf of Mexico. So I went to Mexico as part of uh, my degree. I was doing research on how much garbage was along this certain beach in Veracruz. So I went there, spent the summer in the hot sun picking up garbage the whole, the whole summer, counting it, quantifying it, and classifying it. And so at the, the end of the summer, I put all of my data together, and I found that a, like a, an astounding 93% of the garbage were all materials that were recyclable. So they were things that have aftermarkets that people pay a lot of money for so they can turn them into t-shirts, roads, new water bottles, things like that. So they were literally being washed out to sea and eaten by whales and turtles. So to me, that was really devastating, and it was kind of a loss of all these materials. So I kept thinking while I was out there every day, had a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> so I kept thinking to myself, how can I get people to recycle more? Uh, so I went back to where I was staying every night. I would research the recycling industry, um, innovation and in tech in, in the recycling industry. And most of it I was finding was were in the, um, you know, the mechanical part behind recycling, not really in the human behavior behind it. So I started thinking of ways to affect human behavior with recycling. And so that's how I first came up with the idea for Rehab. Yeah, and, and so when you were doing research on recycling, uh, you, you were thinking about sort of international uh, mm -hmm. markets for recycling mm -hmm. and products and whatnot. You weren't thinking specifically about what's happening in Mexico. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. So um, you came back from Mexico, though, thinking something could be done here, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Yep, I came back first thinking that I wanted to join some team that already existed that, had, that was doing what I wanted to do. So I started researching. Uh, organizations, businesses, trying to find uh, this recycling tech innovation that I really wanted to work for and I couldn't, I couldn't find anything because uh, so it, it didn't exist yet. So that's when I, I, when I first started thinking of Reapp, I thought, you know, maybe there's something like it already. I'll go find it. I'll work for them, give them all my passion and drive. And I, I couldn't find it, so then I decided to make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us what Reapp is. What, what does it right. actually do? Yeah, so Reapp is a mobile application that enables users to measure and track what they recycle over time. 
So it's sort of like a calorie counter for what you throw away. So it allows you to see um, a visualization of your impact on Earth with regards to what you recycle. Hmm. Yeah. So is the, is the app already visible? Yes. Someone yep. could download it's, it. Uh, we're all, we launched on the App Store on June 3rd. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so who do you expect to use it, or who is using it now? Surprisingly, not the group of people that I thought would use it. I thought it would be the very, very green-minded of people who recycle absolutely everything they own um, and everything they buy and everything. But it turns out um, those people are already really intrinsically motivated to recycle. So it turns out the people that are using it now are the people who are average recyclers who want to be better because they feel pressured by these people who are super avid recyclers. So um, it's actually the much more normal person, everyday mm -hmm. recycler that's, that's using it. Hmm. So would you be able to tell us without actually you know, looking at the app, what do you see when you, when you open up this app? What does it ask you to do? Uh, mm -hmm. What kind of information do you input? Uh, when you first open it, it asks you to make a choice about what you want to do with the app. You can choose to recycle something, reuse something, or look at all of your friends and see what they're doing and see uh, what they're inputting into the app. So if you choose to recycle something, which is the most popular option, uh, it comes up with um, options for you to self-categorize the item. So if it's glass, plastic, paper, metal, and within each one of those um, separate categories is between 9 and 16 other options to choose from. So we can really get down to the pinpoint the item that you're using. Okay, so, so. this didn't happen overnight. Did no. You, <laughs> no so you, not. you um, not coming out of sort of a technical field or mm -hmm. an app building uh, background, did you go to somebody for some help? or? Uh, I did with the um, development part, but the mm -hmm. research part was pretty much done on my own. Mm -hmm. um, I really looked into app psychology, which I didn't know was a, a field that existed yeah. yet. So I looked into app psychology, um, and then I looked into the recycling field, and I tried to figure out the best way to combine both of those. Yeah, yeah, right. And so now, as I understand it, you're, you're, you're in Iowa now. Mm -hmm. Are you planning on staying in Iowa for a while while you build this into whatever comes next? Yeah, actually I am because Iowa, at least here at the university and in the state of Iowa, the community that's here has really helped me build and get to where I am today and it's because of people have helped me and believed in my vision and what I see the app becoming that, they, that they're the reason I'm here today. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I really want to stay and help build other people the way that people have helped build me. Yeah. So. So you, you just said, um, see what the app is, it will become. Yeah. What do you think it will become, or what would you like it to become? That's what I'm working on now at the Iowa Startup Accelerator. I'm working on developing it into a bigger brand. Um, when I first developed it, it was basically an app because I wanted to build it because I wanted to use it. Um, and that's not the best way to go about building a business, which I'm learning. But now I'm learning to um, build it into more of a brand. So right now we're looking at making it a platform for people to become engaged with the recycling process and to help um, begin to inform their local recycling policies locally. So. Ah, okay, yeah. so and did you receive some startup funding for this, this sort of next version of, of your idea? Yes, I did from the Iowa Startup Accelerator. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that will help keep you afloat while you're working yes. on this. But then <laughs> further down the road, will you be needing investors? Will you be looking for corporate partners or community partners, individuals? All, yes, all of the above. Uh -huh, mm -hmm. Yep, we're doing the end of the, of the accelerator ends in a demo day, which um, we pitch our, our businesses to investors. Mm -hmm. And uh, we pitch it to them, and then we go home and just wait for a phone call. And hopefully someone calls up. <laughs> 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 hopefully I'm in Florida or something really nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Waiting yeah. it out. So. so what's been the most exciting part of this? And then conversely, what's the most uh, frustrating or unnerving part? That's a good question. I think the most exciting part was getting the call from the accelerator saying, come join us. Um, because that was pretty much a validation of my 
business model and me as a person because mm -hmm. they don't they don't always choose you based on your business, but they choose you based on who um, who you are and who they think you can become in mm -hmm. it. If you're mm -hmm. a driven and passionate person, then you mm -hmm. have a really good chance, and they can see that. So um, that was probably the most exciting part. The most challenging <laughs> was probably finding a developer to do it. Um, there's definitely a lack of coders in the area. Mm -hmm. They all get taken up by the Rockwells, and they all move to bigger cities, which is great mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. But for those of us startups, here, we would really like to see more coders. Yeah. So. Did you work with a coder right here in Iowa City? I did. Out of the uh, Bell Entrepreneurship Lab, they have um, students that are making businesses, and we're both from there. So we, I found a coder, um, a company who does coding and, and graphics and stuff, and I went through them. So what, uh, what length of time did it take from the moment you, you sort of really began to think about this until uh, now? I did a lot of um, research, uh, probably from June through December of last year, and then in January was when I sat down with Lynn Allendorf, mm -hmm. who we're talking to later, um, and she really told me to go for it. So I did. Um, and then from January to June, we did uh, research, design, development. We did uh, beta testing, and then launched it in that six-month wow. period. That's really fast. Yeah, really I know, fast. and I was defending my thesis at the same time, <laughs> and graduating, <laughs> trying to have a social life. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So where are you from in Iowa? I'm from Atumwa. Yeah, in the great. So are your yeah. parents just astonished that this girl they sent to uh, uh, Mexico yes. <laughs> to do her graduate studies came back and now is launching a business? Yes, yeah. I don't think it was surprising to them that I decided to take up entrepreneurship and develop my own business. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're really proud that I finally did it. Mm -hmm. so yeah. I talked about it for like six months. And yeah. They were like, just go do it, please. <laughs> <laughs> so a so, uh, question I can ask both of you, and, and you'll have a chance to weigh in on this too, Lichi, but um, what do you think it, it takes uh, to become an entrepreneur and a, and a successful entrepreneur? Um, I think it definitely takes passion, which is why I think this is an aptly named event, mm -hmm. definitely. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people who've developed um, businesses, and I've watched them start and end them mm -hmm. uh, pretty quickly because it, it, it takes a lot of passion in what you're doing because it takes a lot of your time. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of your mental time and your, and your actual time, so mm -hmm. definitely passion. Yeah, great. Well, uh, Li Chi, let me uh, introduce you. So this is Li Chi Wang, and we mentioned that you're a current student here at the university, a senior, and he majors in psychology and economics. And uh, he's the chief operating officer of a newly developed app, which is called Blue Cheese. And I think you'll find this a, a very interesting product. It actually was uh, developed by Edible Innovations, which was started by a group of students here at the university. It's an LLC that was started within the last year. Um, so before we talk about blue cheese, let's learn a little bit about you, Lichi. Can you tell us something more about where you're from? And uh. <coughs> okay, hello everyone. Uh, I'm Li Chi Wang. I'm from China, uh, and I'm a still a senior student in University of Iowa, and I'm also the senator of uh, our USD University of Iowa Student Government. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I also founded a student organization called Hard Workshop uh, last year, and uh, we are we are trying to help Chinese students get involved in uh, here and make more American friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the Heart Workshop, I know, is a very successful and, and energetic group here Thank on you. campus, which is really great. So um, let's just start out by describing Blue Cheese. What is this Blue Cheese app? OK, Blue Cheese. Uh, I'd like to say something, because uh, in our banner, it shows uh, we will never let you pick another suspicious food. So <laughs> what is suspicious food? Suspicious food means some food you heard about is very attractive, but 
Its taste is the less appealing, <laughs> such as blue cheese, but not our app. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, as you know, blue cheese is a very simple food name, food name. But I really doubt whether you know how it tastes and how it looks like when you, uh, if you haven't heard about it before. Therefore, blue cheese is built, is built to solve this universal question. Uh, it is the visual menu translation mobile app to help international tra travelers and students deal with the uh, language and the cultural barriers of uh, uh, ordering food. Yeah, yeah. And I understand there's kind of a funny story about this that, that um, I think you can relate for us. Oh, yeah. Okay, speaking of the story, uh, there, is, there is a lovely story behind this uh, app name, and it is also the story that gave us the inspiration to build this app. Uh, it's three years ago when, my, uh, when our CEO and founder of this app was a freshman, he was pursuing a Taiwanese girl. On their first date, he took her to an Italian restaurant. Uh, when, they when they were staring at the menu, they were totally confused by the menu entrance, uh, entrance name. Uh, so the girl asked uh, our CEO Rui uh, to order something for her and some suggestions. Uh, but Rui also had no idea. <laughs> uh, so after reading, the, reading through the menu, uh, Rui picked the only one which he could understand a little, a little bit, uh, which name it was the grilled Roman salad with blue cheese dressing. Uh, after seeing her, uh, after seeing the unpleasant look appeared <laughs> on his dead face, he realized that he had made a huge mistake. Uh, then, uh, therefore, he gave her a promise that never let her pick another suspicious food again. Uh, uh, though the girl has gone for a long time. <laughs> Uh, but Rui, Hao, uh, Rui still kept, uh, kept his promise and uh, rebuilt this app together. Besides this story, uh, I believe everyone uh, there has already experienced the similar difficulties uh, as we experienced, even if the, even the manual is written by your own native language. Uh, then you probably could understand how difficult it is for an, uh, for an international student to order American foods. Uh, therefore, the blue chest is born to help them. Yeah. And uh, so right now, you're, you're in a very promising stage with this app. It has recently launched. And um, right now, it is only available for uh, translation from English words into Chinese. Yes. Is that correct? But you have aspirations to do it in more languages. And yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how does it work? What do, what do you do with this app? You download the app and? You take a picture of a phrase on the menu. Right? Yes. If if you don't mind, I can no, show you no. show you how you can use it. Uh, actually, firstly, you open our uh, you download it from the Apple Store, and uh, you open it. The, this is the first uh, picture you see, and then it shows the resize ball. There, there and oh, sorry, and the you <laughs> oh, this is her face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Uh, like you can resize uh, this part, and uh, to put it on the menu, uh, you can scan whichever word you want to scan all the entry names. Then you, uh, you, you push, the, um, you you click this uh, this this button for a long time. Uh, it will be become clear, and uh, you take photo for the menu words. 
uh, then we will show you uh, whatever uh, you, you are trying to uh, want to know, like 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 the mozzarella steak. Mozzarella? Uh, uh, mozzarella uh -huh. steak. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the, the cheese pictures. There is a description of the mozzarella steak. And uh, also, uh, we got a rating scale here. This is rated by our users. Uh, and there are also some comments on, uh, on this page. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm, that's a basic function, but we will develop more features. Yeah. So um, obviously, any kind of language, anything that's sort of like an encyclopedia or a dictionary, whatever you're talking about, foods, there's just millions and millions of words there, right? I mean, you could just go on forever, particularly if you're um, doing it in multiple languages. So this is going to take some time to develop fully. But the launch, as I understand it, happened three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago. Yes, yes. And it was chosen as best, one of the best new apps by the uh, App Store, yes. Apple App Store. And within the first three weeks, you've had more than 70,000 downloads of uh, this? Yeah. Actually, it's yeah. In the, within the first week, we got 40,000 downloads. And uh, in another two weeks, which is up to now, we got 70,000 downloads. Yeah, yeah. Pretty incredible. So there's clearly uh, potential use for this. But yeah. I would imagine that there are also conceivably competitors for this kind of product as well. What do you think is unique about the Blue Cheese app as compared to other menu translation apps that might be out there? We are unique. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, we, firstly we have a, uh, OCR technology. You can scan whatever you want. You don't need to tap into the words if you don't know. Uh, and secondly, we have a very uh, complete information about the foods you, you like. We provide the description, the rating scale, the, uh, the pictures, and uh, then we will add more information about this. Uh, one more thing about the, the description part. Uh, after conducting the uh, customer discovery, uh, we find most uh, women, they want the calories information on the Oh, calories? Yeah, yeah. yeah calories uh -huh. information on, uh, about the food. Uh, and it's like a foodpedia. So, but you don't need to, uh, it's, it's more focused than Wikipedia, and uh, uh, you can put it in your uh, iPhone any anytime, and you don't need to search it on Google or something. Oh, yeah, very good. And you will be developing uh, a version for Android uh, yes. phones. Uh, actually, too. we've already developed, developed it, but we are tr uh, now we are keep testing on it. We want to get the best version and uh, release it. Mm -hmm. So the group of you who, um, began the development of this, and, and certainly you too. It was six or seven students who started this all out? Oh, it's actually six students. Six students, yeah, yes. They are all master, uh, oh, actually five master uh, graduate students. They are all computer science major and uh, another PhD students in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a small group of all Chinese students who started this yes. and have been working on it up until now. Um, and so you've built it here in Iowa. Do you expect that you might like to stay in Iowa as it as it grows and becomes something I would like more to global? say why not? Because yeah. you know this is a great place to go, start and give back. Uh, I would say we really thank our university and the local uh, startup community uh, and the plan uh, uh, in particular Alan Alan Allen of uh, Jeff case and the plenty of other uh, uh, staffs and uh, faculty members. Uh, they really give us a lot of help. Uh, they help us to build our app in a, uh, in a scientific, mm -hmm. scientific way. So um, 
so we are not just simply saying thank you uh, to our university. We want to uh, serve the international community in Iowa. So we are dreaming to go to be a, a global company, but this is a this is truly an American dream from Iowa. Mm. Yeah, it's great to hear. That's great to hear. Well, I asked um, earlier, I asked Blake what she thinks it takes to make a, a success if you're an entrepreneur, an innovative soul. What do you think it takes? Uh, I think what uh, Blake mentions, the quality is very great. But uh, more about this, I think hard working, keep working, and uh, the, the most important thing is user is always the first consideration. Uh, they will decide what will happen next about your product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just keep focused on your user. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any response to the, the hearing about their project and how they got it going? Um, does it sound quite similar to what you went through? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a testament to the entrepreneurship lab here in the, in the startup community. They, they both come together and yeah. really pump out some awesome businesses. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, do you in Blue Cheese have other uh, other apps in mind or other products that you're working on now? Oh, we got some future ideas about some websites. It's person. Uh, it's uh, relationship for, uh, about person to person. But I don't want to talk about it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need to have enough customer research and uh, get back to you. Maybe do some survey. And at that time, you will know what we are going to do. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. This is Li Chi Wang with Blue Cheese and Blake Rupi with her re-app. And uh, thank you so, so much for joining us in uh, this first portion of our program. Uh, we hope that you'll stay with us for the second part in this series. We'll be talking with the director of the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Center, who was mentioned a moment ago. Uh, that's here at the University of Iowa. And uh, we'll also be talking with the creator of the Blend Card, which is an innovative product here in our area get some insight on the support that's available to entrepreneurs in our area. All World Canvas programming is available on YouTube, iTunes, UITV, and the International Programs website. And that's international.uiowa.edu. And to learn more about our location, Film Scene, visit icfilmscene.org. So I'm Joan Kerr, and for International Programs, thanks very much. We'll see you next time. Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr, and we're coming to you from Film Scene in downtown Iowa City. This is part two of a three-part series called The Passion That Drives Innovation. We heard from two young visionaries in our first segment, and now we want to delve a little further into what it takes to move an idea from inception to completion. How do you bring those ideas to life, and what support is available in our community for entrepreneurs? My guests are, to my right, Lynn Allendorf, director of the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Center here at the University of Iowa. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And to my left is Paul Kongshao, founder of BlendCard here in Iowa City. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Lynn, we've talked about the inspiration that fuels an idea, and we've heard that it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of persistence to go from that sort of light bulb that goes off in your head to having some tangible thing that you can hold in your hand. Um, as the director of the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Center here on campus, your, your job is to help these inspired young people, students usually, um, mm -hmm. move to that next stage. Just you know, take that idea to someplace concrete. Um, 
Can you tell us a little bit about how you approach that at the center? Sure, absolutely. Well, we have a large academic program that serves uh, all students at the University of Iowa. We're physically in the College of Business, but we do serve all students on campus. We uh, have a certificate and a major in entrepreneurship. But then more, uh, more, more interesting than that, really, we have a, a really engaging program to help entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial students who, while they're here at the university, are actually starting businesses. So that's, that's pretty exciting. We have a 10,000 square foot student incubator. So that's free office space, free support, mentoring for these students to actually get businesses started while they're here on campus. Um, some of them are in pre-revenue stage. Some of them are actually making money. So very exciting. Wow, yeah. How long has the center been operating? Well, the, the Bedell Lab that I mentioned, the student incubator, has been around 10 years. We're actually celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. Mm -hmm. The Entrepreneurial Center has been around for over uh, 18 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, being housed within the, the business school, mm -hmm. obviously there are all kinds of areas within the business school that students can be, can be studying. What students come on over to your area? Well, actually, only about half of our students are from the College of Business. Mm -hmm. uh, the rest are from liberal arts, engineering, dentistry, everywhere mm -hmm. on campus. Mm -hmm. So Blake Rupi, we just heard from, sure. would be an example Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you see on an, on an average, in, during an average semester? What kinds of uh, well, ideas we, come we, forth? We probably run into about 30 new students a semester that have concrete ideas that they're trying to move forward. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, lots of apps. Apps are very popular right now, as, mm -hmm. as we saw earlier. But yeah, all kinds, you know, from restaurants to, you know, high-tech uh, mm -hmm. products using science and, and uh, yeah. you know, everything. Yeah. Are there any examples that you could just sort of pull out of your hat? Oh, sure. Um, so we've been working with a, a team that graduated a couple years ago, but Tudor Universe. They, they came mm -hmm. up with an idea to do online tutoring, much like, you know, eBay is an online marketplace for uh, merchandise. A tutor universe is an online marketplace for tutoring services. Wow, terrific! Yeah, and is that is that uh, operating here from our region or? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. They're operating here out of Iowa City. Wow, that's great. Well, I'm going to quickly turn here to Paul and ask you to tell us a little bit about your uh, used to be a project. Now it's actually a going concern, right? BlendCard. BlendCard, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Iowa and uh, I moved to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I was out there for about 12 years. And I, I got a job at a startup kind of during the dot-com boom and kind of became addicted to this idea that you could leverage technology to solve problems. And um, I worked for a couple companies that spent a ridiculous amount of money uh, and never generated a dollar in revenue. So I learned a lot about how not to start a startup yeah, yeah. and run a company. Um, but then um, while I was there, I, you know, the, the idea was hatched and I started working on it on my own, um, felt like I needed to bone up on the technology side of it because I, I entered the technology field from a sales perspective and then evolved into a product management role because you wear a lot of different hats in a startup and started learning different aspects of it. And so I got a job as a product manager at GoDaddy.com and while I was working on it you know, on the side and um, ultimately um, was traveling back to Iowa from Arizona once a quarter, because I worked with a team of software developers in the, in the Iowa offices in Cedar Rapids. And um, I met Mark Nolte at a uh, networking event that I was invited to when I was back on business. And at the time, I was deciding where to move and launch my company. And I was considering San Francisco and Austin, Texas. Iowa City was not at the top of mind at that moment in time. Um, but he kind of dropped the seed that there's a lot of, uh, of exciting stuff happening. And there's a growing 
entrepreneurial ecosystem. And so um, all I had to do was mention that to my wife, and then it was a done deal. We were, we were moving back to Iowa. So, um, so that's kind of how it started. I moved back and, uh, and launched it here. Yeah, and you have found that kind of supportive community that you were looking for. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think that um, the first thing I did when I started considering it is talk to businesses, talk to the market that I was going to be uh, attacking. And I realized right away that this was going to be a phenomenal test market for my product. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I have a lot of experience working with remote teams. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter so much anymore where you launch the company. Mm -hmm. um, so having that ability to have a test market that hadn't been inundated with every idea that every sophomore at Stanford had <laughs> or whatever was a pretty, uh, you know, it was a pre pretty um, compelling target market. Mm -hmm, so. mm -hmm. Well, it's probably a good time for us to describe just what Blendcard is. Sure. So Blendcard mm -hmm. is a small business marketing platform. And um, you know when I when I when I wanted to attack this uh, problem of small business effective data driven small business marketing, um, you know what you're after is con consumer data. So whenever someone explains it, they typically say, "Oh, it's a loyalty card," and it and it certainly includes a loyalty card component. And but that wasn't where it started. We do that so that users have a reason to use it every single time that they walk into a store. And the only reason for someone to use it every time that they walk into a store is if they're earning points towards like a loyalty reward. But it holds coupons, um, it holds a loyalty program, and it holds gift cards to a number of different businesses on one card. So as opposed to each small business within a market launching their own program and needing to overcome the obstacle of users needing to sign up for every individual loyalty program out there, which they flat out won't do. They'll make a decision about a few to carry in their wallet. And unless your name is Starbucks or Target, you don't have deep penetration in a particular area. So what this allows um, us to do is a user can sign up one time and register, and then immediately they're holding a loyalty card able to be uh, uh, given coupons to small businesses and can buy and gift uh, gift cards to a number of different places just all loaded onto one card. Mm. So how many uh, businesses do you have uh, right now represented with Blendcard? So we've got 120 businesses right yeah. now. Mm -hmm. um, we're integrating with maybe another 30 businesses as we speak. And uh, yeah, it, all in the eastern Iowa area. We launched in Iowa City, now have representation in about 15 different towns and cities. Yeah. Um, that at least have a few in each. Yeah. Does it help with a card like this to be in a mid-sized community? You mentioned these other very, very large places yeah. that on the one hand may already have a lot of competitors, but also just the size you're trying to manage with yeah. uh, partners. Yeah, I would say that, that this size of a market and even smaller towns adjacent is, is the perfect place for us to prove this out and to launch. There's already an ingrained um, um, uh, philosophy of collaboration, and these businesses um, the successful ones are already doing a number of different in initiatives where they collaborate with other businesses. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, at the end of the day, if they each go after their own you know, loyalty customers, um, it takes an enormous amount of time to build yeah. that up, where the moment they come live on our platform, they immediately have you know, 13, 14,000 programs that are already in the pockets and purses of existing users. And, and so when you, when you uh, collaborate with other small businesses, you're able to get access to just so many more customers than you ever would on their own. Mm -hmm. So everybody wins.
Yeah. So. so how do you advertise the blend card to an individual person in Eastern Iowa? Yeah, the primary uh, way that we get cardholders is through the small businesses that use the platform. They've got a stand at their point of sale. We have in-store collateral that they now are using to promote it inside the stores. Um, so they pick it up at the local business, they register it, and then they see access to everybody that's using it and can go back and start redeeming deals you know, immediately. Um, but we're also uh, you know, trying to incorporate strategies that really allow us to get more deeply ingrained with the community. So a couple of the things that we're doing are uh, with the Convention and Visitors Bureau, there's over 20 hotels now that are handing out a blend card across the counter. When people check in at the hotel, they're given a blend card they're directed to a website that has CVB member businesses that want to drive those visitors in, and there's uh, a loyalty or there's a, a coupon preloaded onto it. So they all they need to do is check out the website, walk into the business, swipe the card, and they can be driven into these local businesses. And then the other one is events. Um, we just finished Fry Fest, and we uh, have a partnership with Summer of the Arts. So when people show up to any event where drink tickets in a, in a, uh, uh, are part of their you know, existing um, um, strategy, instead of getting a roll of paper tickets, we just load their drink tickets onto a blend card, hmm. and we're able to distribute you know, thousands of cards in, in the marketplace and um, solve a accounting and logistics problem for events. And now people have another reason to hold it in their pocket, because they'll be able to use it all summer when they come back to events. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. So is there is something that, that you do as the, as the president of Blendcard or whatever, do you have to keep track of all of these various things that are happening on individual business websites? I mean, do you have to report out? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we've created a portal for small business owners to log into that they can look at all of their data mm. and find out how many deals have been redeemed um, and then uh, be able to identify people on the platform that are their ideal target audience, which is really, you know, really what we're after is, is the ability to connect small businesses with their ideal target market based on data. So in addition to seeing historical data and all the things that are happening on their platform between our cardholders and the business, they're also able to take action. If somebody comes in regularly and then they haven't been in for 90 days, send them something to get them to come back in the mm -hmm. store. If we identify their ideal users that spend a certain amount of money going out to eat, that, that swipe the card within a certain proximity of their, of their store, we can go after that ideal user, send them a special deal to try to get them to come into the store. Wow, it does sound great to me. Uh, did you did you meet a lot of resistance from? Um, I would just imagine that business owners are sort of there's somebody walking in the door every day with a great new idea, yeah. right? Yeah. And some of them are great new ideas. How how would you pitch this to somebody who said, "Oh, I've got my own rewards program. I really don't want to worry about that." <laughs> uh, you know. How yeah, I mean, it? getting the first few businesses on were, was definitely the, the, the hardest part. Um, people don't always want to be the first to do something. Um, but once we got nine, ten businesses on board, it just became increasingly you know, easier. And once um, you know, each of those businesses were handing out cards, once our audience grew, it just became increasingly easier to get you know, adoption. Um, the hardest part was to give it away for free, to, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> people are very, very skeptical. And you know, even though this is the way tech, tech companies test things, like, hey, I have an idea, I'll give it to you for free. That's an easy decision, right? Not at all, it's amazing. Like, I, feel, I almost feel like if at the beginning, if I would have been charging for it, it might have been easier for them yeah. to buy in. Yeah. It kind of sounded too good to be true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I guess that's a good problem to have. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. so, 
So it's it's free now to any individual person. Is it also free to the businesses? So it was. We, we have now completed the beta testing yeah. period, and now new businesses that come on are paying for it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, as of the last uh, few weeks. So Great. But generating found... revenue is a good thing. Yeah. So <laughs> we're already ahead of uh, some of the companies that I've worked for yeah. in the past very and good. haven't spent nearly as much money. So. Yeah, very good. Well, uh, I, I know that um, one of the things that happens with entrepreneurs is that there, there's, a, there's a lot of startup expense, or there can be a lot of startup expense, setting up an office, maybe renting a space, getting the right technology and all of that. So one of the things we wanted to talk about was some of the, the co-working environments, uh, oh, sure. either on campus or in our community. I think that you have yeah. uh, taken advantage. I don't know if it was CoLab or mm -hmm. what, but um, perhaps you can talk about your experience. Yeah, so I, um, I, I have been uh, working out of the Iowa City CoLab uh, for over a year now, and uh, it's been phenomenal um, for a couple of different reasons. That's how I met Sculpt, which is a social media agency based here that has been doing all of our marketing and social media from the very beginning, and it's been just critical for our, our launch. So being able to work out of a co-working facility where they were also based made it incredibly easy. And, and that, um, just being part of a vibrant office environment before you've built your company and up, uh, up and up to have that on your own is is unbelievable and we're um i'm based out of north liberty and we're actually going to be part of the uh, north liberty collab launch imminently now so i I've, I've been inspired by the collab i've also been inspired by eric engelman from geonetric who has put an enormous amount of resources into building that into his company when he built his new facility in cedar rapids and i think we kind of made the decision like um, you know, we were ready to, to move into our own office. We were ready to start expanding, but the idea that we could make the co-working experience part of our DNA, like right from the get-go, instead of waiting until I could build a company and have my own co-working or incubator in it, um, being able to go into a collab facility and work along other people and hopefully mentor other people that want to start things and, and, and give back already um, before we're, you know, have made it ourselves is, is kind of inspiring. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, so uh, tell us how this, this co-working idea, um, uh, do students gravitate to it? A absolutely. Uh, one thing we struggled with at first when we opened our student incubator, there's 18 private offices there. None of the students were collaborating, so we figured out we had to kind of force that collaboration a little bit by bringing them all together. The problem was they were so many different majors, different schedules, so bringing them together has been hugely helpful for them. Um, they learn from each other. They, they network. Uh, you heard how Paul you know, has met several contacts that have helped him with his business. The students are learning the same things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, one thing one hears all the time on this program and all kinds of other places is that starting a business is always risky. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, you, you go into it with a full head of steam and, you know, you have a failure or a second failure, and it's very financially draining and also upsetting. Um, how do you keep or how, how do you tell someone who wants to go down that road w in their career um, but still a young student? Uh, what do you tell them about keeping their spirits up or getting help when they need it? Well, right. So we try to provide the resources, and we, we try to reduce the risk. Uh, a new program we have is called Venture School, and it's a program based on National Science Foundation curriculum that Instead of uh, the old way we taught entrepreneurship, which was write a business plan, go raise some money, and then go develop a product, now it's 
before you write that business plan, you have to fully vet it. You have to talk to customers. You have to get feedback and make sure the idea that you think is an awesome idea is actually an awesome idea and maybe it needs tweaked a little bit. So we try to put the students and, and entrepreneurs in Iowa through a process where they can, they can get feedback from real customers, real potential um, people that would pay them money and tweak that idea and then move forward with a much uh, better idea than they maybe had to begin with. Mm -hmm. And they practice elevator speeches, I suspect. Absolutely. They practice mm -hmm. pitching. Um, we encourage them to talk to 100 real customers before they decide whether they have the right business nailed down or not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so um, you mentioned that you had had a couple of experiences that worked with some businesses that just kind of didn't make it at all. Yeah. Uh, and you said you learned a lot from that. What did you learn? <laughs> oh, boy. So um, I think the main thing that I learned is, is what she just, just uh, touched on, and I think nailed and that is there was a period in time where you if you created a beautiful website the first thing you did was put it in front of somebody with a lot of money and and fund it and then go and then you learned after the fact absolute wrong way to do it and 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 you know staying lean going and getting direct customer feedback from your target market iterating over time is absolutely critical and and so I mean that's that's what I did I mean I worked on the idea behind Blendcard, and it changed dramatically over the course of almost five years before I, before I felt it was at the point that warranted uh, raising funds and then going full-time and diving into it. Yeah. Do you expect to take this to other communities? I mean, do you think yeah. this is an idea that can be uh, exported, absolutely. imported into another community? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the only reason you start a tech company is that you're going to build something scalable and that can expand. And um, I'm excited to be part of this idea that in Iowa we can build things uh, in technology that we can export to the nation and, and to the world. So absolutely, I want everyone in America uh, to have a blend card account. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you expect to stay here in Iowa, at least yeah. for the near term. This absolutely, is, this is absolutely. Our kids are in school, our family and friends are here, and uh, absolutely, that's our, that's our plan. Yeah, yeah. great. Um, can you talk a little bit about Iowa Innovation Associates? Uh, oh, sure. Mm -hmm. So we really think innovation is not just about starting a business, but it's about being innovative in an existing company. Uh, there's a lot of big employers here in Iowa, and we want our students that leave, leave Iowa City and aren't maybe immediately starting a business to be innovative inside those organizations because that's how they remain competitive. So we feel like we're teaching skills that enable um, our uh, students and our alums to be mm -hmm. innovative, whether they're at uh, starting their own business or at a big company. Um, and I think that's critical mm -hmm. uh, for the uh, economic development success of the state. Yeah. Well, and we, you know, this program comes from international programs, mm -hmm. so I want to spend just a second talking about the very large numbers of international students who are studying lots of different uh, subjects here at the university, but quite a large proportion study marketing and mm -hmm. business and so on. Um, is there anything different about um, an entrepreneur who wants to sort of work on a, on a, on a global plane as opposed to... Uh, you know, something smaller? Well, I think it's like Paul said, it's scalable. It's about mm -hmm. scalability. Um, I'm surprised he's limiting himself just to the United States. That seems kind of... Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, they, students are starting ideas based on their background experiences. Yeah. So it's, yeah. you know, we certainly see uh, ideas from international students 
that maybe uh, would work better in their their home countries mm -hmm. because that's that's where their background is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, throughout my lifetime, you know, I've heard the term entrepreneur. One one hears it in political discussions and so on, and and sometimes it the the word seems to be sort of batted around as a you know Main Street as opposed to workers out there somehow mm -hmm. or other in our political construct, but um, you can. You, anybody can be an entrepreneur, right? Absolutely. I, the thing is to dream up the idea, to figure out what kind of support you need, uh, whether there's a market for it, and, and whether you really have thought it through clearly enough to, to take it out and introduce it to somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. Did you dream of being a businessman when you were a kid? No, not at all. Not at all. I was a philosophy major. Uh -huh. so <laughs> I graduated and discovered there wasn't an enormous amount of money in <laughs> in philosophy uh -huh. um, so no I, I think that that's right on anybody can be an entrepreneur but not everyone should be an entrepreneur yeah. and I think that there's um, a little bit of a, of a romanticism around becoming an entrepreneur mm -hmm. that is very appealing um, but there's a reason that and I don't know the stat anymore at one time it was nine out of ten startup companies fail or something along these lines and, and there's a reason people start something and the, there, there is no, um, you know, other than Facebook uh, or, or some of these others that, that are the, the, the fringe cases, there is no such thing as coming up with an idea and then it just blowing up with no obstacles in the way or whatever. It's going to be incredibly difficult, way harder than you could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And if you've got that drive in addition to the idea, and um, um, then you know you should definitely pursue it, but um, but it's I mean it's just going to be difficult. Yeah. So, okay, so I have to follow up on yeah. the on the philosophy thing. <laughs> what what from your background in philosophy has brought you to a, a place, uh, sort of a, a better place as an entrepreneur? Is there something from that background that makes yeah. you a better business? Yeah, owner? I mean I think that um, a couple of things. I mean. Uh, Philosophy, I think, you know, it's kind of funny. People laughed when I said I was a philosophy major. But you adopt and defend a position. And so I learned how to sell. I learned how to convince people that they should invest in my company. I learned how to build a solution that was defensible when I talked to small businesses. I mean, I learned an enormous amount from, you know, from my background in philosophy. Secondarily, having a understanding about the world and being able to live with an enormous amount of risk and if it doesn't if it doesn't scare you that if things don't work out you might end up living in a trailer down by the river for a little while until you get your next idea that's also helpful as well i mean you 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 you, you need to be prepared you i mean you're never going to truly succeed unless you take risks as an entrepreneur and that's certainly been the case with me as well yeah. so Great. Well, it's so fun to have you both here. Paul Kongtao and uh, Lynn Allendorf, thank you both so much. And uh, unfortunately, this uh, segment is uh, coming to an end here. So thanks very much to these guests and to all of you for being with us. And I hope you can join us for part three of this series. The topic then will be rethinking our communities with the startup mentality. And we have three great guests for that uh, program as well. World Canvas programming is available on YouTube, iTunes, UITV, and the International Programs website, which is international.uiowa.edu. And you can check out FilmScene at films, icfilmscene.org. I'm Joan Kerr. Thanks very much. We'll see you next time. Good night.
Hello and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr. We're coming to you from our new home at Film Scene in downtown Iowa City and very happy to have so many of you with us. We invite you to join us for these live programs if you can or catch them later on UITV, YouTube or iTunes. Information about upcoming shows as well as links to archived programs can be found at international.uiowa.edu and you can learn more about Film Scene at icfilmscene.org. Tonight's program is all about innovation and the entrepreneurial spirit, and we want to spend some time thinking about how communities can stay strong and even thrive in rapidly evolving times. We've named this segment of our series Rethinking Our Communities with a Startup Mentality, and our guests are next to me, Sarah Binder, a journalist with We Create Here. Thank you for being here, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And uh, next to her is Mark Nolte, the president of the Iowa City Area Development Group. Thank you, Mark. Mm -hmm. And David Tominski is at the far end there. He's the program manager of the Iowa Startup Accelerator. So thank you for coming, David. Thanks for having us. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think I'd like to start with you, Sarah. And um, this is a question the other guys might want to weigh in on as well. But what do we mean by a startup mentality? Definitely. So you know, I think everybody we've had on the show here tonight has mentioned startup community. And you know what that really boils down to is just people talking to each other. So you know, in my job as a as a journalist and covering this community, I go to a lot of you know open coffees and meetings with people and different events. And you know, half the time it's not even about the event itself; it's about just people getting together and mm -hmm. talking. And mm -hmm. you know, it's just amazing what people can accomplish when you kind of find you know your tribe of people who who can support you and who will, you know, encourage you to go after your ideas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just that, that mentality that, you know, anything can be possible and that, you know, we have the power and the, you know, the smarts and the resources to, yeah. to make things happen right here. Yeah. yeah. Is, is there anything about that that you would uh, change in any way or anything you would add? Absolutely. Great. I think when we talk about the startup mindset, it's you want to drive change. And change is happening mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs aren't afraid of that. The entrepreneurs are fearless, you know, to Paul's comments, you get, you know what the ramifications are, you know what the might be's are, mm -hmm. but you're still willing to go do it. And that's what we're trying to cultivate. We want a whole community of people who are accepting and embracing the fact that change is happening, and, but mm -hmm. if you're fearless, you can drive it, you can be on the winning end of change, mm -hmm. and that helps the whole community thrive. Yeah. You wrote a really terrific commentary that was just in the Press Citizen about this whole notion of um, being the disruptor rather than the disrupt disrupted. We want to be, we want to be sort of the change that comes rather than the ones who get rolled over, right? Thank you. Uh, yeah, if you look at every industry right now, there's someone out there trying to change it. You look at, at media, at the newspaper mm -hmm. industry. Newspapers across the country are struggling, but the Gazette is taking a different mindset. So how could we, how could we look at this differently? How could we become part of the community? Mm -hmm. Uh, as a way to thrive, and you look at healthcare, you look at education. Everything is ripe for disruption right now. Mm -hmm. uh, every career can be impacted by technology, by globalization. Mm -hmm. So the only way to insulate yourself is to embrace what could be and be on the front end of that, be that disruptor. Uh, and I think that's what we're trying to cultivate with this startup mindset. And if we can get more of our young people to think like that, mm -hmm. uh, that's what that's what built our country, right? Mm -hmm. At one point, we were like. Well, we're not cool with Britain anymore. <laughs> what could we, you know, what can we do differently? And that's we've reinvented ourselves time and again, and that's mm -hmm. what we need to do again right now because mm -hmm. things are different. Yeah. What would you add to that, David? Uh, I just think that uh, being an entrepreneur, being in a startup, I mean, ri risk can be scary uh, if you feel like you're alone. So I think that not to be doing it in isolation, I think that's really why we're fostering community to make sure people know that they're not alone. 
um, the skills that they have complement other people's skills and working together we can do some pretty amazing things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, so um, you work with the Iowa Startup Accelerator. Tell us what that is. Uh, so we are in week five of the Accelerator. It's a 90-day intensive program. Uh, we brought 10 startups from around the world uh, to be based in Cedar Rapids for, the per for that period of time. So we started on August 4th. Uh, we'll have a demo day where the teams will present in front of the entire community and investors on November 6th. Um, and what we're trying to do in that period of time, I usually tell people that our success measure is we're trying to create two years worth of work in a period of about 90 days. So it's that intensive. Uh, there's a lot of structure and education that goes around it. Um, a lot of support from the community, so a lot of mentors are, are part of that program. Uh, the last three, uh, three weeks we spent uh, introducing the 10 teams to 100 people, uh, most of which are from the Creative Corridor, which was really exciting. A lot of very talented people here, um, so I tell people that we actually scheduled about 1,000 meetings in a period of three weeks, and it feels like that should be an exaggeration because it's a big number, but it actually happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, can you give us a picture of what these 10 uh, teams are doing or where they're from? Sure. So we've got three teams that are from Iowa. Uh, we've got one that's from Iowa City. Actually, Blake is one of uh, the teams with, uh, with her business, Reapp. Very excited to have her uh, representing the corridor. We've got a team from Des Moines. Uh, we've got a team from Cedar Falls. The rest are from, uh, there's one from Australia and one from Israel, and then the rest are uh, scattered around. Both coasts represented, Texas is represented. Hmm. So we were pretty excited to, uh, to have such a diverse representation yeah. in the application pool. And what kinds of businesses are they? What kinds of uh, um, projects? So we focused on what we thought Iowa was really strong in. Uh, agriculture, transportation, healthcare, um, and I'm forgetting a lot, ag, right? Whatever you say, ed tech, education, of course. Uh, and what we ended up with is a much, much more broad uh, representation. They're all tech-based companies, mm -hmm. um, but some I'm excited about are manufacturing. So I mean, we're actually making things. We got a lot of pushback from that, that so much focus on building websites and apps. Uh, there's a lot more things that we can build with technology. So mm -hmm. um, there's really a pretty, pretty wide representation in that, in that yeah. group. Yeah. Well, Mark, let me turn to you uh, to talk a little bit about this Iowa City Area Development Group that you head up. Um, recently, there was some news about uh, driverless cars, automated vehicles. Um, fill us in on what's happening there and how, how Iowa City and Johnson County have gotten involved. Sure. Uh, so what we're trying to do as an economic development group is look down the road, what's coming, where are the jobs of the future, and then where can we play in that, what makes sense for us. And so transportation is being transformed quickly. And we happen to have the National Advanced Driving Simulator here at the mm -hmm. University of Iowa. Mm -hmm. So someone had the foresight to build that. And people like Dan McGahee, who are in the audience today, have been uh, becoming experts in different fields around you know, human factoring and all the different assets, uh, aspects of this. And so we have a reason to play in this. And so then what we needed to do was figure out what, what these companies needed to take their innovation and, and commercialize it and really make it uh, ready for public acceptance. And the feedback we got from uh, some of the lobbyists at Google and some of these other car companies. There's, we need a place that embraces this technology and allows us to use their roadways. Uh, Ann Arbor's building a um, kind of a simulated environment right now. They're investing a bunch of money into a fake downtown. <laughs> and the feedback we got was that's cool and that's great, but all we'll prove with our vehicles is that they can operate in a simulated environment. That's right. not how we're going to get to commercial adoption. And so we worked with um, some of the state legislators, our, our county supervisors, the DOT, uh, up to the governor's office and what we've been able to do is get um, the county and all the municipalities within Johnson County to say 
we welcome the testing and operation of this. So they made a proclamation uh, that says we're, that we welcome the operation of these vehicles. And so that allows us to go to these companies and say, come here, bring your technology. We'll, we'll surround you with Iowa-based companies because the, the, the little known secret to many people in ag is that tractors now drive themselves in many cases. The, the autonomous systems that are gonna be seen on the highways are already in our fields. So we've got, we've got all these layers of expertise around the state mm -hmm. of Iowa. So there's a real reason for us to, to be in this space. Mm -hmm. um, so it, trucking, it, this is gonna impact trucking. Um, it's harder and harder for companies to find truck drivers. You, you, you read every day about uh, fatigued truck drivers causing accidents, things like that. These systems will replace that and make us all safer on the roadway. They allow us to be more productive um, allow people with disabilities and the elderly and young people to have more mobility than they've ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll have green impacts, we'll have, you know. So there's all these things, but we've got to stake our claim and say this is something we want to do and it fits mm -hmm. perfectly with this environment we're trying to create. Hmm. So how hard was it to talk to various county supervisors, um, city um, government people? Um, was, it, was it hard to make this case? Or, um... it, was, it was easier than we ever would have thought. Really? We, we got them all in the room and said this is the future, this is uh, what we can be a part of, and I think when you, when when you can get people to our, to understand uh, an idea and and you can articulate it in a way mm -hmm. that that it makes sense mm -hmm. and people know it's coming, and that and that by being first, there's a benefit to us all. Mm -hmm. It's easy to get people to line up, and again, because of the expertise of the University of Iowa, and we had a reason to to make that claim. Sure. So, what will the range be for these vehicles right now during the testing period? This is all stuff we're trying to figure out right yeah. now, and yeah. and so again we. Finding, you know, probably start with something like a, a dedicated pathway mm -hmm. uh, where all the traffic markings and everything mm -hmm. are clearly mm -hmm. identifiable to these vehicles. And so we're, we're, we're dreaming up some, some cool stuff right now. That, yeah, um, very cool. And then there's a public education part of this so that people, regular people driving their own cars or out on the highway see, see a car moving along with nobody sitting in there. They will understand what they're seeing. That's, yeah, and that's the future, right? That we're still yeah. a few years away from that. But uh, you are going to see a vehicle here on the roads very soon that has some of this capability that you'll be able to uh, use as a demo. That oh, we're, yeah. we'll, we'll do some demonstrations because a lot of this technology is already in place. You know, cars mm -hmm. that can back themselves, you yeah. know, parallel parking. Who wants to do that? Yeah. Right? Um, uh -huh. But it takes that first time where you take your hands off the wheel and let the car do it. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to mm -hmm. demonstrate that and some of the adaptive mm -hmm. cruise control. You know, there's all these, all this technology is starting to just build on each other and it's coming from different. Areas and so what we want to do is be a hub for bringing all of that together. Right. Well, now uh, you tell me the story how it all actually happened. But what I'm remembering is that you were someplace out on the West Coast at a big at a big uh, conference about these kinds of vehicles, whatever. And and I guess you raised your hand and said, "Hey, Iowa City, we can do that." Um, what kind of response did you get? Did anybody know where Iowa City was? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> uh, the feedback was phenomenal. Yeah, they probably were then Google mapping where we're at. But you know, the nice thing is the, that people have uh, an association with the University of Iowa. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. uh, the university has a great reputation. And again, the National Dr Advanced Driving Simulator. Yeah. Everyone in that room knew about you know that sure. asset. So, but yeah, we stood up and said, listen, we we've gotten approval from the governor's office and the DOT and our local jurisdictions that you can come test these vehicles. Oh, you had that okay oh, walking yeah. in the door. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah, that was that was what we were there to share. Yeah. And so then, you know, again, like what Paul was saying, when you walk into a business with this solution, mm -hmm. people are skeptical. And mm -hmm. then like, well, what does that mean? And so mm -hmm. we're still trying to figure that out, but Yeah. 
the, the invitation's out there, so. Yeah, terrific, terrific. Well, uh, Sarah, you write about the corridor, things yeah. that are happening in our area here, and you see a lot of startups, you see a lot of new businesses, and mm -hmm. talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. What are some of the more interesting um, examples of, of successes that you could talk about? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I have the really, you know, exciting job of talking to people, you know, like this every day and trying to help share their stories. Um, something I think is really interesting about what both kind of Mark and David are touching on here is, more and more we're going to see technology impacting our everyday lives in more tangible ways. So, you know, in the past few years we've seen a lot of apps and we've seen a lot of websites and, you know, my own industry of publishing and media has been deeply disrupted by that. But more and more we're going to see, you know, cars and manufacturing and, you know, physical things disrupted by technology in really profound ways. And, you know, we talk about shaping a community with the startup mentality and it's really going to physically change the way our communities look. Um, but other than that, I think we just have a lot of, you know, really great uh, kind of uh, momentum in the community yeah. right now with, mm -hmm. you know, there's events happening almost every day this month that you could go to and, you know, different companies have raised money recently and kind of had that validation from, you know, both locally and outside of Iowa. So mm -hmm. it's really exciting to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, uh, on, on the one hand, I'm hearing how, um, for example, these driverless mm -hmm. vehicles we were talking about, how they might make lives much, much easier for many people, maybe even safer on the highways. But um, is there a, probably also going to be a loss of some employment? So what, what's the trick there? As, as you welcome in the new thing, a community that wants to stay alive has to make sure that its, its working population is able to fill whatever new jobs come along? And I think that's what we've seen over the last 50, 60 years. You know, technology has replaced some jobs. Globalization has replaced other jobs. Yeah. And we can't sit idly by and just hope that that's not going to affect us. That's why it's good to be first. It's good to, yeah. to drive that. You look at the truck driving profession. Mm -hmm. You know, in a few years, that may be an office job. Yeah. You know, a truck driver may go to an office and control five or six different pods that are moving down the interstate. Mm -hmm. um, so that's safer for that person. It's healthier. Mm -hmm. They're not on the road. It be, makes that, that profession a more attractive profession, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So there's, there's always going to be pros and cons. But mm -hmm. um, we live in an era where if something can be technologically replaced, it's going to be, right? Yeah. You know, we've got a lot of discussions we have to have around ethics and, and you know, mm -hmm. public acceptance mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. But it's a reality we can't change, so let's drive it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so David, um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the Iowa Startup Accelerator and, and who's behind that? How did this idea come about? Where are you located? Uh, it's, there's a lot of people that are involved, and I think that's probably what excites me the most. I mean, Eric Engelman, Ben Dillon, there's quite a few investors that came behind it. Um, part of that program is uh, those teams get an investment, $20,000 for 6% equity, so that money had to come from someplace. Mm -hmm. um, but we started... I would say at least three years ago with a small co-working space uh, in a fifth floor building of an old downtown facility and building the community, um, looking for the people that were going to actually uh, be part of the startup community we said existed. Um, <laughs> so you have to create that first. And usually when, we, you know, when, when my friends go out and talk to other communities about building startup communities, that's what you talk about is where are the people? Mm. Because a lot of times they look around and they see these beautiful buildings, they see these wonderful programs, and they think that you could just, you know, air, airdrop those in and magic will happen. And it takes a lot of hard work, and people need to be dedicated to it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, the list is probably close to a thousand people uh, that are involved in just the creative corridor alone mm -hmm. uh, to help it going. But uh, certainly the driver behind 
um, behind the Iowa Startup Accelerators, a guy like Eric Engelman, who's mm -hmm. the managing director who I get to work with every day. Mm -hmm. uh, just an amazing human being, uh, very giving of his time, successful CEO of a multi-million dollar company. Um, kind of put that aside for a period of time, and he said, I want to do this. I want to help our community. I want to help grow companies. I want to do that here in the corridor, and uh, getting, getting to spend time with him is, mm -hmm. is a pretty amazing opportunity. So do uh, the, the businesses or the, the young startup folks who work at the Startup Accelerator, do, do they pay some sort of fee to have the opportunity to, to work with you? Are they renting space? Or how, the teams in the work? Accelerator? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. They, we pay them. Uh -huh. So we actually we gave them $20,000 for 94 days of their time, hmm. and we work them to the bone. So, I mean, we don't sleep much. I mean, it's mostly 14-hour days. And you go in there on the weekend, you'll see them there on, on Saturday and Sunday. Um, they're taking advantage of the opportunity that they've been given, uh, mm -hmm. and that's really exciting. So working alongside of them, uh, just getting them whatever they need. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we talk about just, you know, stacking the deck in favor of the entrepreneur. Uh, that's something that you'll hear, I think, uh, you know, throughout. Um, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. Just get the rocks off the roadway, let them go as mm -hmm. fast as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. They've got 94 days in the program, but um, I tell people it doesn't stop there. You know, mm -hmm. we've got the seed fund that, uh, that's been created will go for five years. So we'll see 10 companies over five years, so that's 50 companies. So once those teams are out of that program, doesn't mean they stop uh, getting contacted mm -hmm. from me and Eric and everybody else that's involved. Yeah, yeah. This is terrific, you know, and I, I, I don't know the timeline on when all these, these kinds of things began, uh, co-working um, spots, collab, all those kinds of things, startup accelerator, but has most of this happened in our corridor since the, in, in an aggressive way? Has it happened kind of since the flood and everyone sort of suddenly realized, yikes, we have to, we have to really put this back together and come together in a strong way. Can, can you think back, like 2008 when we had this terrible devastation, do you think some of this arose after that? Timing-wise, absolutely. Yeah. I've never tied it actually to the flood before, but mm. yeah, from the time, I mean, Amanda Siren West, who was mm. having these conversations back in 2008, 9, mm. and <laughs> what's that? 11. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know how, yeah. 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 But it, 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 ha it has happened rapidly. Yeah, Let's right, say that. Over right, the last right. three years, we've come a long way. We've got, mm -hmm. a, but we're still in our infancy, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think our competitive advantage is that we're in the Midwest, we care about each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what, where we can compete like no one else. We've mm -hmm. got the same internet as everyone else, mm -hmm. but this startup ecosystem is still, still young and we don't have all the things in place. Getting an accelerator was huge. Um, funding is still a challenge, but it's getting better every day. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. we still were working out some kinks. Um, but we're getting there. Yeah. There's actually, you know, a tie to the flood in the whole story. So Amanda Styron West and Andy Stoll, who um, started Seed Here Studios, they both came back to Cedar Rapids after, you know, had been students here at the UI and um, moved away and, you know, gone all over the world and uh, came back here after the flood and really saw that as a point of inspiration almost of, hmm. you know, there's going to be this huge reinvestment in the core of our communities wow. and you know they'd seen examples like New Orleans is now one of the most entrepreneurial cities in America oh, sure. and so really you know taking that as an opportunity to not just put things back the way they were but to put it back hmm. you know better than it was and to really mm -hmm. rebuild the city for the 21st century and for mm -hmm. this you know type of mindset where we need to be driving change. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean for this question to be in any way offensive but is this kind of entrepreneurial thing a young person's game? It can be anybody. I think it's easier sometimes for young people because they don't have all the encumbrance, you know, yeah, the sure. they don't have the mortgage and, the, yeah, and all right, that stuff right. generally. 
Right. Um, so it maybe is easier for them to take risks, but not at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got people in the collab that are of all different ages, and I don't mm -hmm. know, I'm sure you've got some, I, I hesitate to say gray hair. <laughs> it's, it's coming in. It's coming in. Uh, I, I mean, I started my, uh, the company that I had before I got the job with uh, Accelerator, I mean, I was only about three years ago. So, I mean, I would have been 35, 36, mm -hmm, had kids. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, I, I mean, I think I agree. It's probably easier for, for younger people to do that. Um, but I think that when you take a look around at the community and the support network that you have, that, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening to de-risk entrepreneurship. And so I think when you expose people of any age to that factor, um, they realize that it's not as hard as maybe they, they think it is. Yeah. I think they need to be passionate. Uh, it needs to be something that keeps them up at night, gets them out of bed in the morning. Um, but I think that if you look around, there's definitely plenty of people already willing and eager to help you out. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, while it might be easier for a young person to take the risk financially of, you know, being their own boss for a while, there's so many other ways to be involved in a startup community of, you know, we need people who are mentors or people, you know, who are possibly investors in the community or people who can, you know, drive innovation inside of an established company. Right. You know, that's so important mm -hmm. of they mm -hmm. can't just be startups, but we need, you know, we need all types of sectors and industries mm -hmm. to be innovative. Mm -hmm. So there, and there's so many ways to be involved, whether or not you yourself take the plunge of founding a company. Right, right. One of the entrepreneurs we've been working with over the last year or so is a fantastic example that it's not for just young people. Uh, David Gott with David's Frozen, David's famous frozen gourmet custard. If you haven't tried it, try it. It's fantastic. But uh, had been a, a banker, a finance, you know, finance guy his entire career. Um, unfortunately, lost a son, and realized life is too short. He's always had this passion, um, and he decided now's the time of my life. I'm going to do this. So stop being an investment banker and launch this this brand of custard and yeah. you know it's that type of example that I think you're gonna see more mm -hmm. and more of mm -hmm. as this community starts to embrace taking those risks yeah 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 well and David you mentioned one thing I, you're introducing kids to creative play and coding at an early age and all that tell us something about what you're doing with children sure it's something that I'm really excited about that's happening inside uh, the building so the accelerator is just one part of a, of a larger facility um, and a larger ecosystem that we're trying to foster. So looking at young kids, there's programs that go around all over the world called Coder Dojo. I mean, so that, you know, we started that up in Cedar Rapids several months ago. We've got plenty of space now to entertain 100, 120 kids. Um, so looking at ways to just engage them with technology. Um, also, if anybody's familiar with uh, Kane's Arcade, uh, happened out of Los Angeles. Kid took over his dad's uh, auto parts store, built an entire cardboard arcade. Uh, that video went viral several, several years ago. Um, they ended up, I think they raised a quarter of a million dollars for, for him to go to, to college. So a nine-year-old kid just, you know, <laughs> just using his creativity. What's come, another thing that's come out of that is Imagination Foundation chapters. Um, so we were really fortunate to be one of the 30 pilot chapters that they've selected. And that's all completely focused on creative play. So just exposing kids to using their mind, find creative ways to do things. Um, so that will launch here within the next two to three weeks. I've got my first um, conference call on that, but pumped mm -hmm. about that. You yeah. know, so we'll be able to, you know, and it's more, more about, you know, technology, creative, entrepreneurship. There's just <laughs> a lot of things in the, you know, just exposing kids to opportunity. Yeah, yeah, terrific. 
Any final thoughts before we uh, break this segment? This has really been exciting. You see a good future for our area, right? Yeah, I'm just wondering when you sleep, because the other thing that Dave and I are working on with some others is Startup Weekend. Uh, Startup Weekend events have been happening around the quarter for the past few years. University of Iowa is uh, our great partner with that, uh, October 3rd through 5th. So if you've ever wanted to be an, a part of a startup for at least a weekend, like no <laughs> risk, no, no, you know, no lifetime commitment, but you just want to be part of that for a weekend, you can try it out. Uh, mm -hmm. so. You did that, didn't you, Sarah? I you, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Startup Weekend was actually where I first kind of was introduced to the idea of entrepreneur communities, and you know, I've been kind of hooked on it ever since. So yeah, I definitely recommend fun. it. Great, great. Well, um, our time has run out in this segment, but it's been really interesting, and I'm so grateful to have you all here. Sarah Binder uh, from We Create Here, and Mark Nolte, the president of the Iowa City Area Development um, Group. And we have David Tominski, part of the Iowa uh, Startup Accelerator and all kinds of other good projects here in our area. So thank you so much for being here, and uh, thanks to all of you for joining us. And if you're interested in watching uh, any of these segments played back again, you can see them on UITV, on YouTube, or you can hear an audio version on iTunes. Um, information about upcoming shows as well as links to archived programs can be found at international.uiowa.edu. And you can learn more about Film Scene at icfilmscene.org. So I'm Joan Kerr. I invite you to join us for our next World Canvas, which is in this room on October 14th, and it's all about Brazil. So come if you can, and thank you very much for being here. Good night.